Mark is going to come and bring the word to us. Good to see you all here again. If you have arrived since uh, the beginning of the meeting, when Dan welcomed everyone, uh, you're very welcome. And uh, it's good to meet here, especially if you're visiting us. Um, great to see you. Uh, do spend time at the welcome desk, just picking up information, and uh, you can maybe chat with someone um, about us as a church. Um, that's great as well. All right. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17, uh, following on from what we looked at last week. Don't worry if you weren't here last week, um, because, uh, you know, it's a separate message, (laughs) you'd be okay. Um, But uh, if you haven't got a Bible and you'd like to borrow one, there are a few available, which um, Jody has got, and is Maisie, Jody and Maisie, have got at the back there. So just raise your hand if you want to borrow a Bible, and they'll come down and, and hand you one. The words will also appear on the screen behind me, so you should be able to follow it from there. So when you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 17, in a while we're going to read from verse 16. I wonder, if you, if you ever get into conversations with people about... Um, about sort of the, the earth and the solar system and things like that. Um, it might seem a bit of a strange thing to ask in, a, in the middle of a, a church meeting. But um, I, I sometimes get into conversations like that, especially with two young children. They start asking questions. And, um, and having a wife like Debbie as well, she asks questions as well. Because it's a bit difficult and a bit complicated to understand. And um, this whole thing about what goes around what is very confusing for people. So um, you, have, you have the whole thing of saying, so, so what, the, the earth, does the sun go around the world then? So this is, what, this is what Ellie asked me the other week. Does the sun, the sun comes up in the morning and then it goes down. So the sun is moving and I'm saying, well, yeah, yeah, it, it, that's what it looks like, isn't it? But actually, it, it, it's the world that's moving. So she starts looking a bit blank. What do you mean it's the, it's the world that's moving? And you just think, oh no, I shouldn't have started this conversation. Because um, then you have to try and explain it. And then Debbie's like going, yeah, yeah, I don't get it either. Can you explain it to me? I'm like, oh, no. So, you know, you sit in, you get the fruit bowl out and you start getting the apples and the oil. And you just think, why? Why have I said, just say yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we hear from, from experts because, you know, I don't know. I'm just believing what, what we're told. We hear from experts that the earth is actually moving around the sun. We'll just leave it at the earth and the sun and not confuse it with everything else. Um, the earth is moving at 60,000 miles an hour around that. You think, it doesn't feel like it. We don't feel to be moving at 60,000 miles an hour. But apparently the earth is moving at 60,000 miles an hour around the sun. But everything in our lives points to the fact that we are still, that we are at the center of it. Uh, the earth is in the middle and that uh, the sun is moving. Um, you know, we don't look as though we're moving, but the sun looks as though it comes up in the morning and it sets in the, in the evening. Um, and um, I guess for scientists, it's really important, people who are studying this kind of thing, it's really important and has implications as to whether 
the earth is doing the moving or the sun is doing the moving. It must, it must have implications to science. I don't know what those implications are. Um, but there must be some. Um, but kind of, you know, for us in our life, we can get away with it, can't we? It, do, it doesn't really matter. We can kind of think, what does it matter? What does it matter whether the sun is moving around the earth or the earth is, is, is moving around the sun? You know, let's just see ourselves as being at the center. Let's just see the earth as being at the middle of everything and everything else in the world is, is, is moving about and happening to us. And, and that's a kind of view that we can have as well in our lives that we, we see our, ourselves as being at the center of life. We see ourselves at being the center of things. This is another thing that kids are very good at, especially young children. You know, as soon as they're able to communicate to us, they are the center of the universe. The universe is there to serve them, to give them food, uh, to make them feel comfortable, um, to give them uh, sweets, to give them um, the TV when they want it. I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to go here, I want to go there. You know, all of you guys are here to make me happy and to serve me. And that's, and that's kind of where children are coming at. Children have to learn, you are not the center of the universe. You are not, in, you know, I lose count of the number of times I have to say, you are not in charge. You're not the one who's, who's, who's at the middle here. There's other people to think about. Because you have to teach children those things, don't you? And uh, you have to teach adults those things sometimes as well. Uh, because we can start to do that ourselves. We can, we can live our lives as though everything in, in the world, everything in life is related to us and how we feel and what our needs are. And so what we find when we come to looking at, at God, and we've been worshipping God this morning and singing about how he's at the center and how he came down to find us and all of those things. Um, when it comes to God, we can hear something like, Jesus is the center of our lives. But we can kind of think, oh, all right, I don't, I don't quite get that. You know, it's a bit complicated. Jesus is the center of our lives. It looks as though I'm living my life and every so often God will come in and do something in my life. Maybe once in a while God will come and, and he might heal me. Or once in a, life, a world God might come and, 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 and he'll say something to me. Or I'll feel I've got to do something. Or, or there's parts of my life where I come to church or come to core group and that's about God. But for the rest of the time, I'm kind of the center and God is something out there. And so to hear and understand Jesus is the center of our life is something that I think is very difficult for us to all get our heads around. Um, we often get sucked into thinking and living our lives as though he isn't. Um, and so our decision-making and all our thinking will be affected by that. So even though I don't know the implications of uh, you know, believing that the earth moves around the sun, it doesn't really bother me, you can see the implications of living and thinking as though you are the center of your life and God is just something that comes in. So one implication, one, one result of that is that you can uh, be living your life and have things happen to you which aren't good, which are difficult or you're struggling with, um, and you can think, well, how, how can God love me? How can God love me if this is happening to me in my life? You know, that, God, God can't love me. Or we can mess our lives up and do something really awful and we, think, we can think, well, that's it then. God, God, God won't want anything to do with me now then. Because our thinking about God 
is all based on us. It's all based on what our circumstances are, what we've done, what's happening to us, and we read God into the picture. And I believe that what God is wanting to do today, and, and generally, is to come back into this rightful place in the center of our lives. Not just our individual lives, but in the center of us as a church, and in the center of our communities, and in the center of our city, and in the center of our nation. That is where God's rightful place is, in the center. That's the truth. He is the center. It's not like we've got to make him that, but we need to recognize and see that, and we want the world to recognize and see that as well. And so what we're going to look at in Acts 17... Um, is all around that. It's all going to be around Jesus being the center of our lives, Jesus being the center of life. Let's have a look at that passage, because this is what Paul is getting at in this passage. Okay, Acts 17, we'll read from um, verse 16. Remember from last week that we told you Paul had been taken to um, Athens. There was a bit of trouble where he was, so he'd been taken to Athens, and uh, he's there on his own. He's waiting for for Timothy and Silas to come and join him. But at the moment, he's on his own in Athens, waiting. And so verse 16 says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. And some of them asked, well, what's this babbler trying to say? A few of you will be asking that question very soon. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what is this new teaching that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I can see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as unknown, something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the heaven and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places that they should live. God did this so that men would seek him out and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine beings like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill, in the past God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof to this, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, well, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. 
A few men became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionysimus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Okay. So that's the situation. Paul is in Athens, and Paul is going, and he, he, he ends up speaking to a number of people. He's... Um, this message of Jesus being the center of everything is the one that he is wanting to communicate. You see, he knows that he was living his life the way he thought best. And suddenly, he has a vision of God. He has a vision of the risen Lord Jesus. And suddenly, he repents. He knows he's been going the wrong way. And Jesus is now firmly at the center of his life. He is at the center of Paul's life. And he's going around and he goes to Athens and he sees a place where no one knows about Jesus. He's the only Christian. This is a city where no one has ever heard about Jesus before. And as he looks around, he feels distress. And so he acts to bring Jesus into the center of that city, Athens. That is not an easy job to do. We know it's not an easy job. Because actually, you see the result at the end. It wasn't as though thousands of people repented and came to know him. One or two. One or two people. So it's not an easy job. But actually, those one or two people then grew and spread. And many, many people then got saved in Athens in the years to come. But this is at the start. And this is where the whole city is totally... They're just, they're just thinking in such a different way to Paul. They're just thinking in totally different ways. And Paul has to confront that. First of all, he sees. He sees that the city is full of idols. He wasn't blinded to it. It's, it's often easy, isn't it? When you go to a city or go to somewhere new, you can see things that are different. You can see idolatry. You can see where people are living their lives. And you think, well, why are they doing that? Don't they know that that isn't going to get them anywhere? You know, whether it's a religious thing or, or, or other other ways of living their life. I went to Thailand a few years ago, and we went and, and we, there's a lot of Buddhist temples there. We got taken to a Buddhist temple, and uh, you know, it was it was a for me it was a horrible place to be. We didn't stay very long at all because you could just think, oh man, this place it's just full of of idolatry. It's just full of godlessness. It just oh, it was horrible. You could we saw it straight away. Because you don't see a lot of Buddhist temples around where we live here. And so it was something new. It was in our face. And, and, and you think, oh, I'm, I'm not going to have, how can you have anything to do with that? But there's idols and things in our lives that we just got used to. You know, the people who lived there, the, even the Christians who lived there, they kind of were used to that. They didn't have a stronger reaction about the temple and about the Buddhism and about the idolatry that was going on in that area of life. Paul sees that the city is full of idols and he's not blinded to it. Yeah, it might have looked amazing. It might have looked spectacular. It might have looked very impressive. Athens was unrivaled probably in terms of the, 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 the monuments that were built. But he sees that there's many thousands of gods that are worshipped there, many thousands of idols. In fact, it was said that there were 30,000 registered gods in Athens. 30,000 gods that were registered. I'll come on to that thing about being registered in a, in a bit. It was said of Athens, someone said, it's easier to find a god there than it is to find a man. There's more gods than people in Athens. 
Um, and that was, that was the way that the Athenians saw themselves. They, you see, they thought, as everyone does, that they were the center of life. And so they thought, right, life's going on, and um, they soon realized, as you do, that they couldn't be in control of every area of their life. There were some things that, they, that came along and that were problems that they couldn't do a lot, lot about. Um, so, for example, the weather. You can't do a lot about the weather, can you? You can plan something, but, but it's not always going to happen because of the weather. And so that's quite important when it comes to crops and agriculture and feeding and sustaining yourself. So, so these people, they thought, well, we need, we, need, we need to worship a God of the weather. We need to worship a God who's going to control the weather for, for us to make it right. So they come up with this God. Um, and Zeus was the God of the rain and the weather. Uh, the rain, the sky and the rain. And uh, so the, let's worship Zeus for this thing. And then they think, oh, well, what else? No. So there needs to be order kept in the city. There needs to be kind of social order. People need to not riot. People need not to just do their own thing because society's got to hold together. Um, right, how are we going to do that? We'll worship a god. Um, let's have another god for that. So um, there was a god called Themis. He was the god of justice and social order. All right? And you get the idea that everything in life... They were thinking, we, yeah, we, we need to have this happen so that we're okay. Let's, let's, in, let's have a God and worship a God of this. So they worship a God for this and a God for that and a God for the other. And, and everyone puts their ideas of gods forward and they get approved and get on the approved list. And there's 30,000 gods on this approved list. Now, you can see in this passage, Paul's mentioning um, an altar to the unknown God. Well, that came about in the 6th century BC. There was a plague came and struck Athens. This plague was wiping people out. And uh, people are like going, oh man, we've got all these gods, but, but this plague is still wiping people out. There must be another god that we don't know about that is wiping us all out in this plague. And um, well, we've got to find out who it is. And they got this guy called um, Epimenides. He said, oh, I'll tell you who this, who this god is. We'll, we'll work it out, or we'll work out where this god is. And so he, he came up with this weird idea of getting a load of sheep, and he says, just let the sheep go, and uh, wherever the sheep lie down, they have to be hungry sheep, because sheep, hungry sheep don't tend to lie down. Um, they go looking for food. But the hungry sheep, they release them all, and he said, wherever they lie down, uh, that's going to be where this God is, and, and we can worship him there. So they set these sheep off. And some of these sheep lay down. And so they said, quick, let's build an altar. So they built an altar. And they said to Epimenides, what's this God's name? And he went, I don't know. And so they said, oh, okay, uh, unknown God. But he's the God. We'll worship here to, to stop this plague. So that's how this altar to the unknown God came about. You know, they were coming up with gods here, there, and everywhere. Because they wanted their lives to be at the center it was like, let's, let's have health here, 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 and here, and here. And so, wherever there was a need, there was an idol. And there was a God. Now, it's easy to see in other cultures, but we have this in our culture as well. And often we need to say, God, will you open our eyes to where our idols are? Will you open our eyes to see what are the things that we are putting our trust in to look after us in our lives? Where are we going and saying, we need to make sure we're okay in this area, therefore we will do this? 
and worship this. Now, it might not be worship, it might be paying for something. Let me give you one example, a couple of examples. For some people, it might be around superstition and horoscopes and things like that. That they, they think, I don't want to worship a god, but, but we can be superstitious. Or we can, we can look at our horoscopes. And as Christians, often we can look at that and we can see that one. Ooh, yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't be involved in horoscopes. Shouldn't be involved in superstitions. Now, some Christians might, might get pulled into that, but, but many of us can see it. What about some, some others, some subtler things? What about something like insurance? Insurance. Now, insurance is sold to us on the basis of fear. What about if something happens to you? What about if something happens to your, to your house? What if someone burgles you? What about the holiday? What if you can't go because you're ill? What if the, if the plane company goes bust? What if this, that, or the other? And so, um, what about your job? Maybe you want job protection insurance because you might get ill and then you might not be able to earn and you might not be able to look after your family. And so, insurance is sold to us on the basis of fear. What if? You can't control those things. You're not in control. What are you going to turn to? Who are you going to turn to uh, in that situation? Are you going to turn to God or are you going to turn to your insurance company? Now, we can, we can put our trust in the insurance company. Now, don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not saying you must never buy any insurance. We're not legalistic, so we're not telling you what to do. I'm just saying things can come in. Things are sold on that basis of fear. Arnold uh, once said that our version of Job 1.21, you know Job, the guy in the Old Testament, a lot of bad things happened to him. Um, and I can never find Job in the Bible. I think it's somewhere near Psalms and Proverbs. Um, it's just before Psalms. Um, Job, Job 1.21, you know, he's already had quite a few things happen to him. Uh, and uh, he, he gets up and he, in verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, uh, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He's praising God despite his circumstances. And Arnold once said, you know, we, we can start trusting in these other things. We can start putting our trust in, in the insurance company. And our version of that quote would be, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the insurance company. Because we're going to get it all back. And now, it can be an idol. It can be an idol. It can creep in. Because it's, it's sold on the basis of fear. God, open our eyes to the idols in our life. Not to say that we, we, you know, we must reject everything, but we want to see where we are. We want to see the culture that we're in. We want to see what it is that we are maybe getting sucked into. Paul sees all of this in Athens. He sees it because it's a totally different culture to his own. And he feels great distress. It says in verse, uh, in verse 16, of chapter 17, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. You know, he feels anger. He feels grief. He even feels jealousy. Um, he knows that Jesus should be at the center of life. He's had that revealed to him. And he's jealous for the name of God because the Lord Jesus is not at the center of Athens. He's not at the center of Athenian life. No one's even heard of him. Other gods are being worshipped, and, and Paul's thinking, this is wrong. This is wrong. 
It's not right that God isn't being worshipped. It's not even right, I'm not even going to go and bring God as one of these 30,000. It's not right that God just takes a place among 30,000. God should be at the center of this life, of life. He is jealous for God's glory. And God is a jealous God. It's something that we don't really like to think about too much. But there's many passages in the Bible where we learn that God is a jealous God. He's jealous that he should be the only one who is worshipped. So the first of the Ten Commandments, uh, for example, is you shall have... uh, not the first, is it? You shall worship the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And you shall have no other God but me, is another one, I think, of, a, of the Ten Commandments. Talk off the top of my head. I think it is. It's definitely a, a, one of the Ten Commandments. don't know which one. Um, let's look at Exodus 34, which is the passage I meant to look at. Um, Exodus 34, verse 13. God is speaking. Uh, and he's, he, says, uh, he says, break down their altar, smash their smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Okay? That's, that's kind of stressing the point, isn't it? He's not just saying, for the Lord is a jealous god. He's saying, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous. Oh, what's your god called? My god's called Jealous. All right, okay. That, but that's one of God's names. He's stressing it. He's a jealous God. He cannot tolerate other gods being worshipped. He alone is the one who is to be worshipped. And uh, we see God's jealousy there and a warning about about being sucked into the the idols. He says, break down the altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Don't worship any other God. That's the same God that we worship today. He's saying, don't worship any other gods. Don't get sucked in. Don't get pulled into the world. The world will worship all sorts of gods. The world will say, put your trust in this. Put your trust in this. Put your trust in this. God's saying, put your trust in me. I am God. I am jealous for your worship. I am the only one who is worthy of being praised. It's easy to get sucked in. This is a hard thing to do. It's hard because we live in our society and uh, we think that we are the center and it, it, all, it all goes on like that. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul doesn't look at the, at the society and just think, oh, poor guys, they don't know about God. All these poor Athenians, they're living their lives in a godless way. They don't know about Jesus. My heart's going out to them. I need, I need to tell people about God. That's not his motivation. I'm not saying it's not a motivation for telling people about God. You know, as we get to know people, we can think, oh man, we know what life's all about and they don't. And we want to bring that to them. But Paul's main motivation wasn't feeling pity for the people. Paul's main motivation was feeling a jealous, righteous anger that God was not being glorified, that God was not receiving worship. Our main motivation for telling anyone about God and about Jesus is that God would receive worship that is due to him from that person, that God would receive more glory, more honor, that he would be more uh, recognized as to who he is and where he is. 
That's our main incentive. That was Paul's incentive, and so Paul acts. Paul goes to the synagogue, and he reasons with the Jews in the synagogue, and he reasons with the Greeks, those who weren't Jews, who feared God, and he goes into the marketplace, uh, just the kind of city center, the marketplace. Now, it seems that he was struggling, to be honest. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really say strongly, but it doesn't say people responded to what he had to say. Um, In fact, the responses that we hear about is, it says, some of them said, what's this babbler trying to say? They didn't really get it. And some of them said, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Um, So, you know, we've got our gods. This is a foreign god. This is another god. It's nothing to do with us, really. We can dismiss it. Someone else's god. We've got enough gods. This is someone else's god. This seems to be advocating foreign god because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. I wonder whether Paul, you know, don't want to criticize the guy too much. He was a good guy. Uh, he did a good job. Now, I wonder whether at this point Paul was going in and he was speaking about the resurrection and people were just like going, I don't, I don't get it. It's just like a foreign language to me. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get the link. This is a foreign God. This is, how does this relate to me? Why are you telling me? This is your God. Fine. Go and worship your God. I'll worship my gods. We'll all be happy. Um, you know, I wonder if, he, if Paul at that point thought, maybe I need to change my tack a bit. Because people have their view of the world, we'll call them worldviews. People's worldviews, they're pretty entrenched, aren't they? You, you can't really do a lot about them. People live their life and everything fits into it. So the whole thing of, I am at the center of my life and everything you know, revolves around me, that can be a worldview. And to to say, no, 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 that's not true. God is the center of everything. It's like, yeah, I don't get that. No, I'm the center of everything. Because you live everything in life comes from this worldview. You don't talk about it much, but everything comes from it. And so Paul's coming up against this worldview. And and he's not getting very far. And so it it can seem as foolish as, as saying to people who believe that the the, um, the sun goes around the earth. It can seem as silly as saying, saying no, 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 it's the sun that's going around the world. People go, right. So it doesn't really matter to me. I'll just carry on believing what I want. What does it matter? You know, it's, a, it's the same thing. It's easier for people to have something which comes and it's added to a worldview. So it would have been much easier for, for Paul to come and say, hey, I found another one of your gods. You've got 30,000, here's 30,001, let me tell you about this other God. Um, And you can think, well, he started doing that. He did, but he he, he didn't stay on that. There you are. Here's another God. Here's here's another God, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. He can take his place among 30,000. Some people, if you want to, you can worship him as well. He'll fit in to your worldview of many gods. That's okay. People would have accepted that a little bit more. But, but Jesus as, as Lord, Jesus as the center of the earth, Jesus as God as the only God, no. It wasn't, gonna, it wasn't playing. People didn't understand it. It's thinking out of the box. It's, it's just off, off, the, off the wall to them. So later, Paul goes up and he's brought to um, this meeting of the Areopagus, a, a, a place called Mars Hill. And he, he seems there to adopt a different strategy. Now, Paul, 
says that he's learned to speak to any number of people from different backgrounds. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he encourages the Corinthians, and therefore us, to do the same. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, Paul says this. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I'm not myself under the law. Why? To win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. So he's, he's seen that you've got to, in some way, relate. You've got to, in some way, bridge that gap. This worldview over here, which says, we're living our lives, this is how, this is how it all works, and you're just on about something totally random, I don't get you, just go and live your own life. That gap has got to be bridged. And so Paul says, I'm going to bridge that gap. I'm going to do that. So if someone's weak, I'm going to be like them. I'm going to become weak. If someone is under the law and legalistic and saying, this is how you've got to live their life. Okay, I'll relate to you as one like that. So, you know, at one point he takes, um, which one is it now? He takes Timothy, I think, and gets him circumcised. Was it Timothy? Someone tell me. Um, Because someone else he didn't. But he takes Timothy and he gets him circumcised. Why? Well, because he's wanting to win the people who are under the law. And if Timothy wasn't circumcised, they'd be like, get out, you've nothing to do with us. I'm not going to listen. Ears are shut. Because he's not circumcised. All right, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we need you to listen. So we'll circumcise you. Hard luck, Timothy. And, uh, and there we are. There's a door open there. So he's, he's beginning to relate to people as they are. How do we relate to people? How do we relate to people who might be very different to ourselves? Do we come across the, just the same in every situation? You know, some people say that, don't they? Oh, you've got to be true to yourself. Yeah, I, I'm who I am. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people how I talk to people. I'll just be like that. Whoever I talk to, I'll just be the same. Well, that's not a good idea. Why do you do that? Paul didn't do that. You're just going to put most people's backs up. You, you, you change how you, how you are to be able to relate to people. Some people say, well, you're just, you're just like a chameleon then. Well, yeah. I guess so. You're still, a per- you're still a chameleon. You're just changing how you are. You're still the same person. So, for example, there's a, there's a, a guy up at the um, a community center where we do our afternoon meetings at City Church North. Uh, there's a guy called Keith there. Now, when I have a comment, it was quite interesting sitting in with, with Ben Gibbons. Uh, he had a meeting and he said, oh, he said, you talk to Keith differently. He said, you suddenly become all Yorkshire. <laughs> I think, well, yeah. Now, to be fair, I am from Yorkshire. I just change how I talk to people like yourselves so you can understand me. So I'm a bit more southern here. <laughs> but I'm putting it into practice. But, but, when, but when I'm talking to Keith, I go back to my Yorkshire. So I'll, I'll start talking a bit more like this. And um, I'll talk to him. And I'll say, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. And I'll talk to him about pie and pea suppers. And I'll talk to him about bingo. And I'll talk to him about scouting because he's into scouting, and I used to be a scout. And so I'll talk to him about the things which he's going to relate to me about. We're building up a relationship. All right? And at that point, then I can bring in things 
and talk about God. But I've made, a, I've, I've made that link. I've made that connection. He's not, he's not going to just think, you know, well, who are you? You know, you're coming at, at me and you're just totally alien to me. You're talking about things I don't understand. You're just talking about spiritual God things all the time. What's that about? You know, and if I didn't have a Yorkshire accent, that would be even worse. Because he'd probably make a judgment on that. And, uh, you know, things like that. We're called to relate and to win and to win people. And so when Paul goes to Athens and he talks to these men at the council, then, then he's, he's thinking about how he's doing it. Now, he's, they're probably asking him to come because this council were kind of the people who were appointed to, to come up to approve the gods. You know when I said about the registered gods, a certain number of gods were registered. This council were the ones who heard the ideas about God and they, uh, the gods, and they said, okay, yeah, we'll give that one a, mar- a stamp of approval. And not only did that, they said, if you want, you can buy some land off us and you can build an altar or some sort of monument to your God. All right? So we're going to sell you the land and we'll approve your God and then you've got a registered God. They probably heard that Paul was speaking about this God and they probably thought, well, well that's okay. He can come and tell us about his God and he can buy some land off us if he wants and he can build an altar or a temple and he can give us a bit of money, and that, and that works fine. Now, Paul goes along with it at first, to an extent. He goes and talks. He goes and talks to them uh, about, about, about what he believes. Um, and he starts off from where they're at. He doesn't come in and start quoting Scripture, Old Testament Scriptures. He doesn't start doing that. Because, and he would have done that at the synagogue, but he doesn't do that here. He doesn't start really laying into their beliefs. How dare you believe in all this? Look at all this idolatry around here. You know, all the things that had really distressed him. He was feeling real distress and emotion. He doesn't just lay into them about it. Ah, you know, you heathen. He says, I see, where is it? Verse 22, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He's making a link. He's making the link. He's, a, he's, he's kind of going, oh, well done. You're a religious people. You're very spiritual. Now, he's not thinking, you're doing all right. He's distressed by it. He hates it. But he's making the link. And, and he, he fixes. He doesn't say, ah, 30,000 altars. He goes, you've got one that says to, uh, to an unknown God, I'm going to tell you about that God. Now, they might have then thought, ah, 30,000 gods, he's going to tell us about this 30,001. He's going to let us know who that is. Now, that's not what Paul's wanting to do. Paul, he can come and tell us about his God, and he can buy some land off us if he wants, and he can build an altar or a temple, and he can give us a bit of money, and that, and that works fine. Now, Paul goes along with it at first, to an extent. He goes and talks. He goes and talks to them uh, about, about, about what he believes. Um... And he starts off from where they're at. He doesn't come in and start quoting scripture, Old Testament scriptures. He doesn't start doing that. Because, and he would have done that at the synagogue, but he doesn't do that here. He doesn't start really laying into their beliefs. How dare you believe in all, look at all this idolatry around here. You know, all the things that had really distressed him. He was feeling real distress and emotion. He doesn't just lay into them about it. Ah, oh, you know, you heathen. 
He says, I see, where is it? Verse 22, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He's making a link. He's making the link. He's, a, he's, he's kind of going, oh, well done. You're a religious people. You're very spiritual. Now, he's not thinking, you're doing all right. He's distressed by it. He hates it. But he's making the link. And, and he, he fixes. He doesn't say, ah, 30,000 altars. He goes, you've got one that says to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you about that God. Now, they might have then thought, ah, 30,000 gods. He's going to tell us about this 30,001. He's going to let us know who that is. Now, that's not what Paul's wanting to do. Paul, remember, is wanting to, ultimately, he's bringing Jesus right into the center. Boom. Other gods. Go, Jesus, at the center. But he doesn't say that at this point. He says, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. He'll have got their attention at this point. He's got common ground. That's a good place to start. But it's not a good place to stay. And many of us stay there. Many of us make the links with people, and that's where we stay. And we're like, oh, we can relate well with, with people. We're getting on well. We're, we're relating well. Are, you, are we bringing Christ into the center of people's lives? No. Because we've stayed at the link. We've stayed at the, at the relationship. It's good to know about the culture that we're in so that we can relate to people. But it's good not to be sucked into it. I said some of this last week. Okay, let's find out what people are into and see whether we can make the link there. So, um, I, I do a lot of work with, within, uh, with children. And so you've got to learn what children are into. Um, so what games they're into at the time, what magazines they're into, what TV programs they're into. doesn't mean I've got to sort of start reading all their magazines every week, start watching TV as much as they do, you know, and get into it all, or even play with their games. I've just got to know what their culture is about so I can start to relate. And then I can tell them about Jesus because I've got their attention. It's the same with, with, with other things. For example, on Alpha this week, people started talking about the X Factor. Now, I have I've not watched the X Factor. I'm not an X Factor fan. I've not watched the X Factor at all, this series. Um, but I can tell you quite a lot about the X Factor because I've, I've read up about it. I've, I've sort of kept up with all the sort of gossip and everything, you know, of what's going on. So I can tell you about Jedward, and uh, I can tell you about last week, how they, it looked like they might be voted off, but then Simon Cowell, you know, he saved them, uh, and he shouldn't really have saved them. He's put it to the public vote, and all of it, and some people are saying, this is awful. You know, I'm, I know, I've not watched it. I, I couldn't, you know, I've seen a picture of them. I've never heard them sing. I don't know who many of the other people are. I know some of their names. But, okay, you get the point. I don't have to watch it. That's not saying you shouldn't ever watch it. I know many do. I don't have to watch it to be able to talk about it. And I, and I, could, I could talk with these people about it. And they were saying, oh, you know, such a fix. Such a fix. It's all, it's all manipulated. And I said, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is, isn't it? it it's, it's all fixed. It's all manipulated. I said, you know, like... Actually, doesn't life do that, though? Don't, don't lots of people do that? They'll say one thing, and it's all just manipulation, you know, whether it's the media. And we, we started getting on to thinking about, well, what's life all about? What can you put your trust in in life? What's as it seems? So, do you see, see where it kind of went? Now, it didn't, like, go, they didn't, like, get saved at the end of it. But, <laughs> so I'm not like, 
But you start a conversation where someone's at, and you can take it on. Now, I could, if I'd have known nothing about the X Factor, I could have just thought, oh, I'm here to tell you about God. Oh, I'm just going to sit through you talking about the X Factor now. I'll just go quiet. And then when you finish talking about your thing that you're interested in, I'll say, yeah, but what about Jesus? And they'll probably think, what about the X Factor? What about Strictly? I want to talk about that. I could have talked about that more because I know Matt Strictly. <laughs> Jesus was born into a culture. Now remember, Jesus is the center of life. Did Jesus come and, and come into the world? Now, okay, God sent Jesus to come and save us from our sin, to show us that he was God, to bring us back on track, to restore our relationship with our Father. So Jesus comes into the world. How does he do it? Does he come into the world, uh, you know, as a grown man and suddenly go, Hey, everyone, I am the king. I am the king of the world. You shouldn't be worshipping the Romans. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be following these other teachings. Here I am. Jesus didn't burst onto the scene like that. Jesus was born in absolute obscurity. He moved, though, from being an insignificant baby that no one would have heard of to being one of a number of preachers who would have gone round at the time teaching things, to gathering people and ultimately moving to the cross. And on the cross, that was the centerpiece. That was where all of creation focuses in on. That was where all the world goes down to. The cross, the death on the cross of the perfect Lamb of God, who can take away the sins of the world. Then Jesus can say, it's finished, Father. And then he gloriously rises from the grave. And the message goes out. And Jesus begins more and more and more in our world to take center stage. And it will move on so that when Jesus returns, all will bow their knee before him and say, you are the king. Every knee will bow. Everyone will acknowledge him. There won't be any dispute. But he doesn't start there. He ends there. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. We don't start off where we want to end up. Paul's not presenting God as one of many. He's not saying worship of these idols is okay. But he takes it from there and shows how God is incompatible with idolatry. We don't start off when we're talking to the unbelievers by quoting scripture at them and telling them, do you know, you really shouldn't be sleeping with your, with your partner. If, you just, if that's one of the first things that you tell them, they'll just go, who are you? This is my worldview, and you are saying something which is from the Victorian ages. You're saying something which is just wacky. It's weird. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm rejecting it. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't... They're not going to hear our message. They're not going to hear about a God of grace. They're not going to hear about a God of love who comes down and saves us from our sin. They're not going to hear the message we've got to have because they'll be just like going, you're a weirdo, you don't believe in sex before marriage. So let's not go and tell people that then. Let's keep our mouths shut. Let's keep our views to ourselves on that issue at that point. Not saying compromise. Let's not believe that then. No. I'm not saying that at all. Paul's not compromising. He's just choosing what to say when. 
He's just choosing not to start having a go at them about their idolatry because he's going to get their backs up and they're never going to receive Jesus. It's a tough job as it is. We get to know people and we present God to them and we move them through and we reveal to them the whole truth. Paul's not going to stint. We're going to see this just at the end here. Paul's not going to stint, but we move people through. What's something that could be a link to people? Well, Many people in society today are concerned about injustice and poverty. Environment, that's a big one, isn't it? The environment. You know, many people now are concerned about the environment. In schools, it's been taught. Who is more concerned about the environment than anyone? God is. Who made it? Who made the the earth? God did. What was the first thing God said? Look out here, Adam, look after the earth. Take care of it. Rule over it. Right. So we've got a link, haven't we? People are concerned about the environment, and we can, but God is ultimately concerned about that as well. Really? God's concerned. I never even thought about that. All I've ever heard Christians say is you shouldn't sleep with your partner. But God's concerned about the environment. God's concerned about injustice. God's concerned about the poor, really. Hmm. You're winning them over. Yeah, 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 he is. But actually, God doesn't want us to worship the earth. God's not saying that we, yeah, we, we value the earth, we take care of it. It's God's creation. But actually, we don't worship the thing that's been created. We worship the creator. Oh. Oh. The pennies start to drop. You lead people through. That's what Paul was doing here. If you never move people on, you will never get Christ to the center. So, very briefly, what what was God saying? Let's have a look. Verse 23, how did he do it? Uh, Chapter 17, uh, let's start in verse 23. He said said they're very religious. He's going to tell them about the unknown God. He says, first of all, uh, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So he's starting off and saying, just acknowledge something, you don't know everything. You don't know who this God is, the the unknown God. So I'm going to come in and and try and tell you something. You're, you're kind of hedging your bets a bit there. You, you know, a bit like Homer Simpson, when he, was, when he thought he was, he was going to die, he, he shouts out, I'm going to die! Um, Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all! Um, you know, he's hedging his bets. That's what the Athenians were doing, but they didn't really know. It was like, let's go for anyone, just to make sure I'm all right. So he says, you don't know who you're worshipping. I'm going to tell you. God is in charge. Now, he says in verse 24, God made the world and everything in it. God made that. Everything came from God. He's at the center. God's in charge, not you. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. Why does he say that? Because they believe that their gods did live in those temples, and they went and worshipped them. So, This meeting of the council, if they're thinking they're going to sell Paul a plot of land to worship his God, that's out of the window now. Because Paul's saying, God doesn't live there. He's bigger than that. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. You can't limit God to that. And he says in verse 25, look, he's not served by human hands. You know, know, as as if he needed anything from us. It's not as though... God depends on us. It's not as though we're helping God out in some way, in anything that we're doing. We're not helping God out 
God serves us. That's what Jesus showed. He came, he said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. God serves us. We are dependent on him. Life doesn't revolve around us. God is not a taker, he's a giver. And and many people struggle with this idea. It's It's the basis of grace, really, isn't it? It's the basis of you don't have to pay your way to get to God. You can't impress God with how good you are and and make him love you. He loves you. He's shown he loves you by dying on the cross. It's free. It's done. You just accept it. That's all you have to do. It's free. People go, no, no, but surely I've got to pay my... If I've done wrong, I've got to sort it out myself. Well, you can't. It's done. It's sorted. It's free. It's, It's given. People struggle. God's a giver, not a taker. God, in verse 26, he says, determines the times set for people and he determines where they should live. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the earth and he determined, he determined the times set for them and he determined the exact places that they should live. All right? God's in control. God's the one making the decisions. Now, at this point, you could think he could be in danger of, of losing people. He could be in danger of people just thinking, oh, it's too much, too much. So, so he, he, he brings them back and he links them back in again. And he says, um, God did this so men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Well, that's kind of what the Athenians were doing. And he says, look, he's not far off from each one of us. And then he quotes these two verses, which I talked about last week. In him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He brings it back down to where they are. Look, even some of your poets are seeing some of this. Even some of your poets are beginning to recognize that, um, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. God's in control. God's at the center. You're not. He is. Everything comes out of him. Some of your poets said, they thought it was about Zeus. It's not about Zeus. It's about God. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I do remember that verse. And they're getting it. They're getting it, some of them. God came down to find us. I've been singing about it this morning. He came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. And then he finishes off and he says, look, the time for ignorance is over. There's no, there's no excuse anymore. He says, you know, God, God's kind of put up with this for a while. He's a jealous God. He doesn't like worship of other idols. He's put up with people worshipping these other gods. Now, whether they're the Athenian gods or whether they are the gods that we have in our society, this is still the same. He's put up with that. He's tolerated it. It doesn't mean he likes it. It doesn't mean he's happy with it. Because God is a jealous God and he wants to be at the center. And Paul is saying he's put up with it, but he's not going to put up with it for much longer. He's not going to put up with it for much longer. He's overlooked such ignorance, but now... Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day, there's a day that's coming when he's going to judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, by Jesus. Paul's making a strong point here. Look, who's going to decide who's God? This council is set up here. Oh yes, that's it. I'll approve that God. We'll approve that God. This is God. They're deciding. He's going, ha ha, you're not making the decisions. You're not the one saying whether God is God. God's decided who the judge is, and it's not you. 
God's appointed someone who's going to be judged. That's the Lord Jesus. He's going to come back and he's going to judge all men. And you'll be judged with it. And that's the same for people who might, who might be saying, oh, I just don't understand God. You know, I, th- I think God's like this. So I think God should do this. I don't, I don't think God should allow suffering on the earth. I think he should just stop it all. I think God should heal everyone. Why hasn't God healed me? I think he should do that. And God's saying, I'm putting up with this, but now's the time for you to repent. That's not a good attitude. There's someone coming, my son, the risen Lord Jesus, who's going to judge. And when he judges, you'll be found wanting. Because like Job at the end of, Job, at the, end of the book of Job, you know, he, he got to a point where he was saying, why is all this happening? What about this? What about that? And God eventually spoke. And God eventually said, who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? I, I cr- Did you create the world? Do you decide where the lightning is going to go? Do you, are you in charge? Like, like to Kim, are you in charge? Who do you think you are? We say it to kids because we're teaching them. God says it to us. Who do you think you are? There's a time coming when he will judge us. The time for ignorance is over. Now is a time for repentance. And Paul, by the end of this meeting, has totally turned it around. He went with the council thinking, we'll listen to what this guy's got to say and we'll make a judgment. And he left and said, no, you're going to be judged. You know? And a few people said, well, we want to hear a bit more. And Paul was like, okay. But now I'm leaving because I've said what I've got to say. If you want to know a bit more, you come. But this is how it is. Paul's totally turned it around. These Athenians weren't at the center of what was happening. God was. God was. And God is. And this is the message we're to proclaim to the world today. And we're to proclaim it in the best way possible for people to hear it and receive it. We don't just come and start by saying, do you know God's going to judge you? You know, there's truth. Those guys who go around with the placards, you know, repent for, for, for the kingdom of God. I can't remember what they say, but it's all like the repent stuff, isn't it? You know, they're telling the truth, but are they winning people? People just think you're a nutter because they're starting there. We need to proclaim it in the best possible way for people to see it. And we need to guard ourselves against the worldview of this generation coming in and affecting us. There's a guy called Dr. David Wells. He says this, Unlike most religions, Christianity has no place or language or race or culture that serves as a center to hold it together. Christians share no worldwide headquarters They share no common language, they share no common race, they share no ethnic heritage, they share no common framework. The only thing that holds all of Christianity together is the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive today. That's the only thing. Jesus is the center. And as we've seen, the response to Paul was varied. Some responded with contempt, some were curious, a few were converted. Um, and that's what will happen with us. Some people will respond with contempt. Some people will be curious, and it might never go further. 
and some will come and see Jesus at the center. And let, let's not despise small things. We can always want more. We can always say, God, God, will you bring more people to come know you? We're, we're jealous. We want your name to be glorified. But let's not despise the ones and twos. Here it says, a few. A few men followed Paul in what he was saying and believed. Became followers of the Lord Jesus. A few men and women. Paul could have just gone, ah. But from there, Christianity grew. And God grew what was going on. It had a major effect in the end. Let's not despise the small things. So, Paul's actions, they didn't come about because it was his job. He was a preacher. They didn't come about because he felt he ought to speak out. And in all of this this morning, I don't want us to go away and feel, oh man, I ought to do this. Paul didn't do that. He didn't do it because he ought to speak in Athens. He just found himself there. And he had God inside him and he was, he was jealous for it. And he, took, he, he, he went with it. He took it out. He saw something and he felt outraged for the glory of God. Let's pray that we can see things as they truly are. Let's not just accept our idolatrous culture, which is harder to spot. Let's keep asking God for this burning zeal and passion that his name is glorified and worshipped in all of the earth. And that he would take his rightful place in people's lives and our society. Mel said earlier, it's all about our relationship with him. That's what it all comes down to. Everything's down to our relationship with God. And it is. It is. That's the centerpiece. We are in him. He's at the center. We're in him. And we can see amazing things happen when we get that perspective. Let's live in that. And let's share that with others. Let's pray.